1: This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world, all on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to The Coindesk Podcast Network.
3: Hello, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to some of you out there. It's Monday, September 12th for The Hash. We're going to catch you up on all the stories from the weekend. And honestly, there was a lot of things to talk about. I'm Will Foxley. Got Jen Zanassi, Adam B. Levine, and Wendy O. gracing us today. We'll start off with Jen. We've got some Starbucks stories we're talking about.
0: It's Wendy, Will.
3: See, oh, rough start for so Monday you morning.
0: It? You know what? The problem <laughs> is, that was pretty Will good has until not.
3: I gave you the wrong person.
0: You know what? The thing is, Will has not had his pumpkin spice latte. He is not wearing his Ugg boots. What are we going to do? But this is actually a I got Wendy. coffee.
3: I got coffee. <laughs> but is it Wendy? pumpkin spice? <laughs> it's not pumpkin spice hence the mistake
0: are you wearing uggs though you're not
3: (laughs) no i'm not wearing uggs
0: (laughs) all right let's get straight into this story because i am not a big starbucks fan but i actually might start buying starbucks for this program but starbucks to offer nft based loyalty program alongside polygon i am a big matic holder a big matic fanatic so this is outstanding for me basically starbucks is going to launch an nft based loyalty program with the blockchain on Polygon to create an accessible Web3 community that enables you new ways to engage and all of those fun things. It's going to be called Starbucks Odyssey, and you can earn and buy digital stamps in the form of NFTs that offer benefits and immersive experience. And basically, it's just an extension of what they currently have. And I'm just very excited for it. I think this is really going to help bridge the gap when it comes to Web3, and we're going to really get mass adoption this next bull run. And I've been screaming to focus on NFTs for the next bull run. Will, you have your hand up. Please talk to us.
3: Yeah, I should really just give this story to Jen because she's going to be super positive about it. So I need to jump in and be really negative just to balance things out beforehand. Why do you need a blockchain for this? You don't. This is about centralization, right? Blockchain should be decentralized. You should have assets on top of it that no one can control and anyone can use. Starbucks is using this for its own centralized platform and project and program to make more money. Why do they need a blockchain for this? I don't get it. Starbucks has a very interesting fintech arm of its entire business, right? That little Starbucks card or the app that you use on your phone basically operates as a bank. They have a lot of money under management that a lot of people don't know about. And they make good money on top of that just by having refinancing from all the money that people load into their Starbucks cards just so you can get your latte on Monday morning. But this project is a little bit different, right? It's supposed to be on top of a blockchain, get your NFT, get your little badge, maybe get some access to that, you know, latte in the fall that you want with your Ugg boots. I don't get the decentralized part. Why not just roll it up into the app and keep it, keep it all together, right? I don't get the whole point of it. I want to give the gen, Jen, but Wendy, I saw your hand go up.
0: Go for it, Wendy, and I'll take it. Okay. So I think it's just an extension of the current program they have, and they're probably just going to integrate NFTs into this because everybody wants to have an NFT. If you are a diehard Starbucks fan, and you can get an nft that shows that you purchased 1000 pumpkin spice lattes why not i think it's fun i think it's interactive but
2: you can do People that on like, like an apple why NFT do you need that blockchain says you've purchased 1000 pumpkin spice lattes i'm sorry to say but you are basic i'm sorry 1000 yeah. of them saying, come on I'm just come on. i'm just throwing
0: out a number <laughs> just throwing out a number go ahead jen
2: okay okay well i think you're right i mean why do you need decentralization Ooh. for this but 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 I think we're far away from achieving real decentralization, right? And so for for brands to eventually get to that point where they're achieving decentralization in some way, shape, or form that maybe we can't imagine right now, I think this is the right next step. I don't know that Starbucks customers are out there begging for NFTs, but I think that this program is kind of cool and and the right next step for their loyalty program. And so, Will, I was going to mention the fact that Starbucks operates as a bank also. They have more than $2 billion worth of cash that people just load onto their cards, forget about spend and, and whatever. I pulled a quote from Starbucks' CMO, whose name is Brady Brewer, which I thought was great. Your last name is Brewer, and you're the CMO <laughs> wow, at Starbucks. Nice. He said, it happens to be built on blockchain and Web3 technologies, but the customer, to be honest, may very well not even know that's what they're doing, is interacting with blockchain technology it's just an enabler so they don't plan on advertising this as nfts they don't plan on talking too much about blockchain but i think their long-term vision is right and i have an idea for their nft project so they said they're going to partner with artists and there's going to be internal people at starbucks who work on the art for some of these nfts i think that they should work with artists from the countries where they source their coffee beans from i think that some of the proceeds from that should go back to the artists so they can empower those communities And I think that will really help get some of their customers on board because they're going to feel like they're doing good. Starbucks, if you need a marketing consultant, please call me. Adam, what do you got? This
4: is a great conversation (laughs) so far. I think that (laughs) when we're talking about this stuff, like there's the specifics of the program and then there's sort of kind of the broad moment that we're in right now. NFTs over the last number of years have become, have gone from being something that was super niche. We used to call them collectible tokens or digital collectibles to now being something that is... Pretty mainstream and I think that this is just kind of another sign that we are continuing to walk down that path to the point about decentralization you know you're right but I just think that this is about this stuff getting boring right like it becoming part of kind of our everyday world and our everyday experiences to the point where we don't have to think about them as digital collectibles it's just kind of a reality that hey this is a thing and we stop thinking about it in terms of is it a thing or is it not a thing and it's just how are people using it in this particular circumstance so again there are ways that I could really kind of twist my brain to get to a point where it makes sense to do this with a blockchain. But it, you know, it's like the partnership with Dulce and Gabbana, right? You know, like where you, you know, buy 10,000 pumpkin spice lattes, and then you get a single boot, right? You know, like those types of things, (laughs) like you could, you could see a reason why you would want to use distributed tokens and a distributed infrastructure for something like that, because you really want neutrality and making sure that you that your uh, token remains autonomous. But to the point, it is a little bit ridiculous. At the same time, I think he continues to emphasize that we are moving towards this not being a thing we think about anymore, which I, for one, am excited about. Will?
3: Yeah, last thought on it is that maybe you can use these like Starbucks NFTs and swap them to another chain. That'd be kind of cool. I don't know. So maybe that's like the grand ambitions of it, right? Like an interconnected interoperable Starbucks. Chains I, 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 in the you, you, you're you're putting
4: way too much emphasis on this. The, the, the grand ambition here <laughs> is that we talked about it on the hash here today. We've delivered Starbucks their value for doing this at all. So uh, you're welcome. Free
2: lattes <laughs> for all.
4: Okay, let's go to Jen now and talk
3: about the Nier Foundation. <laughs> okay, we're talking about the Nier
2: Foundation. Yeah, so the Near Foundation just announced a $100 million VC fund and lab in partnership with Kairos Ventures. So the fund is going to be allocated to seed series A investments. The first being in a venture lab, which is going to work with creators, talent and franchise owners to build, test and validate next generation platforms. I think this is a great extension of the last story, right? A bunch of money is being poured into the ecosystem to empower these creators and kind of figure out how we're going to operate with the technology in this web 2.5, because let's be honest, we're always talking about web three, but web three is not here. We're still very much in web two. Wendy, tell me what you make of this story.
0: I think that this is a good thing. I like to see people dump money into the underdogs. And we know that this product, I saw your face. I saw your face, Adam, don't come for me this early in the morning. Okay, please. I had a very long (laughs) week. I think it's a good thing. I like to see it. Like hopefully that they will do good with this money. Hopefully it won't be that big. I can't say the word on this show, but hopefully it won't just be a bunch of money going where it's not supposed to go. Hopefully it'll go to people that are actually building some of the underdogs. I love to see that. But then again, it is crypto VCs and I do not trust most crypto VCs as far as I can throw them. I'll give it to Adam since he's making faces at me.
4: I am making faces, but it's not at you. It's at kind of the whole situation that we find ourselves in. You know there's just so much money floating around these kind of worlds to be the next big thing and everybody's trying to figure out how do you get to be the next big thing but a lot of the sectors again like we saw so many of these projects come online with the idea that they were going to be the next ethereum and it's been really really hard to find that and if you look back through the history of cryptocurrencies what you'll find is that sector leaders like notably bitcoin ethereum and really not much else you could argue axi infinity but i think it's a tougher argument to make today. The companies that become important are companies that do a thing that nobody thought was going to be important as far as the rest of crypto projects at the time that they launched it. And they stumble, or you know were correct, in getting to a use case that is important, and then once they're there, they become the incumbent, and it's really, really hard to unseat them. And so I think that a lot of projects that came up with the idea that they were going to be the better, faster, more scalable version of Ethereum. Are now faced with the same choice that many early Bitcoin competitors were, which is that that's probably not going to happen. So the question then becomes okay, so if that's not going to happen and we've got all of this money and time invested into it, we have all of these people who think that we're going to be the next big thing. How do we actually deliver on that value? What is the path from here to there? I think throwing a lot of money at content creators is one of the paths that people pick. And it's kind of an obvious basic path. You know, it's like, it's not, there's no grand strategy here. It's like, hey, People have, you know, intellectual property that other people care about. Hey, we should get them to use our project because then that will bring importance and that provenance to our project. And I think in practice, we just have yet to see this type of strategy actually work despite the billions of dollars that have been thrown across multiple projects towards this exact type of thing. So, you know, I'm again, like this to me is not a non-story. It's a continuation of trend. And honestly, it's a little sad because like the lack of creativity when it comes down to it. Really is that? It's like you know, in crypto, you've got like I don't know, one percent of projects that are actually doing something interesting, and then ninety nine percent of projects that are basically trying to be the next version of bored apes. And I think it's just you know, it's it's a tough environment because people don't understand this dynamic, and it's it's an important one. Wendy, I saw your hand go up, so why don't I throw it back to you?
0: I think it's going to be very interesting to see exactly what happens with Ethereum once the merge is done, and maybe some of these projects that were Ethereum competitors are going to finally have their time to shine we're being told that the merge is supposed to go and be very smooth however we don't know yet that's a really 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 big change to a massive ecosystem so if there's bugs if there's issues that's when that these other blockchain projects that have been directly competing with ethereum hopefully that is their time to shine and hopefully when they created these projects especially the ones that were done in the last couple years they knew about the ethereum merge they expected it and they kind of Pre thought about all the different bugs or the different issues that could happen. And they've built their project to kind of absorb those issues and become better. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. I hope it does, but I have a feeling maybe one or two crypto projects can actually directly compete with Ethereum. Just I want executives... to jump in here.
3: Oh, three way, yeah, well, three way. I get a jump in because you guys both already talked already on this subject. So it's my turn. DeFi rude. is something, well, it's true also, Jen. The <laughs> Near Foundation raised like $450 million over this year for DeFi specifically. Like The Near Foundation is really good at raising money. So don't really think they're underdogs. I think they're actually like, they're rolling in the money, right? And to, to Adam, to your point, what are they going to do with this? I mean, if they were just so focused on DeFi for quite a while, raised money from a bunch of different teams, including Three Arrows Capital at one point, And now they're just pivoting into this other content creation aspect. I don't think that's actually odd. If you do look at the landscape for L1s right now, it's really hard to beat Ethereum. It's really hard to beat Bitcoin. Like those are dominant; they're not moving. The only thing you can really pivot into is maybe offering something else that Ethereum is not very good at, and that might be some sort of content creation angle. Where Ethereum's too expensive to use it, so we'll build content creation on top of something like Near. Who knows? You have to find that out, right? And that's why they raise these huge rounds so they can more or not throw like money at the problem and figure out what happens. Jen, I'll give it to you now. Apologies for being rude.
2: That's okay. Still love you. So, one of the executives mentioned in the story said that they're really focused on bringing engagement to consumers and fans. And there's so much money being poured into the space. We talk about it all the time. A lot of the stories we're talking about today are about consumer and fan engagement. And I've noticed a lot of the startups in this space talk so much about this consumer and fan engagement, but they don't actually go out there and ask consumers and fans what they want. And so I think if you're building something for artists, for creators, you really want to create this engaged community, ask the community what they want. There are so many projects building just based on trends and what they think. And I think if you go out there and ask, you'll find that a lot of the people that these projects are being built for still have no idea what's going on. They're still very skeptical and that needs to be addressed before a lot of these projects can see the kind of success that we want. Adam?
4: Yeah, I'll, I'll just add that there's a tendency to look at people who are in high, high place positions, not unlike ourselves on this show, by the way, I'll mention, and assume that they have some type of insight that is fundamentally better than other people and that they have some type of knowledge that will lead them to make decisions that are better. And I used to believe that. And then I paid attention to crypto for 10 years really, really closely. And what I discovered over and over again is that Everybody's just people. They're all just people. Nobody knows what's (laughs) going to happen. Nobody knows what's going on, right? Like, and as a result of that, again, like this, this idea, you know, that there's some like amazing plan at work here behind many of these projects, it's just not true. You know, as, as uh, you said, Jen, you know, like this is trend following more than anything else. And because, and like by the time something becomes a trend, that's the point at which the opportunity to take advantage of that trend from a business sense is typically already gone. So again, like we're we're getting, you know, these signals from the market, you know, six months, a year after, because people who are building stuff that doesn't make sense at the time, but then takes off, that's kind of where really all of the intelligence is. And that's why it's so good that there are so many projects out there, even with this dynamic, which is somewhat irritating, is that we don't know what's going to happen. And so the game really is for people to make their best guess. And then the projects that are the most right and kind of the bravest about doing it, they're the ones that tend to win. But it's a lot of losers for every winner out there. So again it's something worth being careful about. Wendy, I think we're almost done, but I'll throw to you for a last word.
0: As a um, content influencer over here, um, content creation is very, very important. But at the same time, I always tell my audience, hear what I say, but listen to yourselves. Listen to or hear my opinion, but make an opinion based on your own choices, what works for you. And I think it's important to do that.
1: And I'm done. Coindesk has a new event. It's called Ideas, the Investing in Digital Assets and Enterprises Summit. It facilitates capital flow and market growth by connecting the digital economy with traditional finance. Join us for a 360 investment experience where you can source, invest, and secure the next big deal in digital assets, all in one place. Use code hash20 for 20% off a general pass. Register today at coinest.com forward slash ideas.
3: Let's talk about a new report coming up from the White House following executive order from the Biden administration last March to investigate different aspects of cryptocurrency from a bunch of the federal agencies. The first one we have on deck is actually about mining. So of course, we're going to get a lot of these over the next few weeks. There should be about 12 government agencies giving out their opinions on many different parts of cryptocurrency. The first one we have is on mining. This report has a lot of nuance to it. And I think we see that in the writing, the authors that they talked with, the people they investigated, just to get a bigger approach or a bigger understanding of what is going on with crypto mining, which really has moved to the United States pretty aggressively after China banned the practice back in 2021. The report sort of falls on both sides, depending on who you are. Some people thought this was a big win for anti crypto people who are against Bitcoin mining or really railing against energy usage. And then there's a lot of Bitcoin miners out there who are pretty impressed by the research that went into this. That the in-depth studies on things such as methane and gas flaring uh, and how Bitcoin mining can be used to stabilize grids. So well, I'm going to throw this one over to you, Adam, to get your take on it. Uh, I, I like the fact that for once we have a study that both people are claiming a victory for, because to me, that seems like it was actually has a attempt at credible
4: neutrality. I mean, <clears throat> I'll, I'll play the, uh, the old libertarian here, which is again, we're talking about a report from a government that is fundamentally threatened by the mere existence of an alternative to its unipolar you know, currency system that we've been living under for our entire lives. And they're talking about this not in the context of that, they're talking about in the context of its environmental impact. The Environmental impact, of course, for Bitcoin is viewed very literally, right? It's how much energy is actually being consumed. And that's then compared against other types of systems that are out there where only a small portion of the energy usage is actually taken into account. There are these things called externalities. So although the U.S. dollar system doesn't use a blockchain, well, it uses the U.S. military, you know, in order to make sure sure that it maintains its value. It uses, you know, credit card companies, all of the people who, you know, work there, all of the travel that has to happen. There's just like, there's, there's, an inconceivable amount <laughs> of energy actually used in the conduct of the money that we use today. And that's not the conversation here. The conversation here is compared to our goals for certain types of, you know, like climate change reduction metrics, which are themselves very, very dubious in the way that they're put together and the predictions that they're then used to generate. That's being used as sort of the, the particular stick in this report to whack the thing. So. It's not surprising to me that we saw this come out. It's not surprising to me that we see both sides claiming victories for it. And it's not surprising to me that it's attempting to position itself as a somewhat neutral interpretation while completely ignoring the core question about it, which is that what does money actually do? What does money actually cost to operate and what are the alternatives to it? Which if you were to be honest about it, Bitcoin is incredibly efficient, exponentially more efficient than any other system that you could possibly have, even with how much energy it uses. So, again, that's one side of it. The other side of it is that we're talking about policy here that the U.S. may or may not put on top of Bitcoin and other decentralized technologies, but these are not national technologies. These do not operate in a national fashion. And to the extent that there are climate change goals that you can achieve by these things, well, all you're going to do is push the usage that we're talking about here to places that have even less regular. Uh, oh, no. Oh,
0: we lost, we Adam. lost Adam. Too much power going Adam's on, guys. Anymore. Blame it on Bitcoin. Bitcoin does not fix it. <laughs> he, he said too much
2: on the report. He got shut down.
3: Too bad. Okay, I'll give my take on this story because it is pretty interesting. But I work for a mining company, so a disclosure, there definitely have Uh, some opinions on the subject. I do think that this report did a good job in terms of credible neutrality for a few reasons. One, they talked to a diverse group of stakeholders in the industry, people who have been studying it for years, people who are very against the industry. They also talked to a lot of CEOs. They talked to a lot of operators out there. So they did a good job of getting a wide spread of people who are operating in the Bitcoin mining space, which is always a good look. And I also saw that didn't come to necessarily a lot of conclusions. There was a few things out there that definitely made it onto Twitter such as the US government might have to go after Bitcoin mining and shut down Bitcoin mining, and Congress might have to make some decisions on it. But a lot of that was Twitter and not necessarily the report. Right? If you read the report, there's things on both sides that actually look pretty good, including one line that said that Bitcoin mining might be able to help the US's transitions to a green energy future. So that's pretty classic, right? We get a little bit of both. I do think that we're going to see more of these conversations pop up as all these other reports come out. Again, this was the first of many reports. We're going to see probably nine or 10 reports in the future. Uh, Wendy, I'm going to throw it over to you.
0: I do not trust the US government. I think that this report (laughs) was probably positive because they found nothing really too terribly incriminating or wrong about Bitcoin mining. But at the same time, I believe it was either you or Adam, Will, that said that there was 12 agencies that are currently monitoring Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining or any types of POW. I think it's absolutely ridiculous that we place this many resources, time, money on this stuff instead of actually fixing the problem that we have at hand. So it's very problematic to me. I don't trust it. I think that they're going to kind of slide it in and be like, oh, this is great. This is fantastic. And then hit us with, no, you can't do this anymore. Because at the end of the day, when you take a step back and you look at everything that's going on they know that Bitcoin is a threat to the US dollar. They know that Bitcoin is a threat to money in general. And they're going to want to stop it the best way they can. And the only way they can do that is they can't stop the Bitcoin network, but they can, in fact, put out laws and regulations that somewhat hinder it. So it's going to be problematic for me. I'm not a fan of it because I'm looking past all the veils. Jen, you had your hand up.
2: Yeah, I just wanted to riff a little bit on what Adam was saying. I think the I didn't read the whole report, but it seemed very narrowly focused and didn't kind of focus on a lot of the overarching things that Bitcoin mining could potentially affect, like job creation, economic development. And these are the conversations I think we need to have to make all of this research something that's tangible. If we're so narrowly focused, we're having the same conversation over and over and over again. Here's what's good. Here's what's bad. But how does it relate to the world that we're living in? How does it potentially make it better? And how does it potentially make it worse? And I really look forward to seeing something like that come out of one of these reports, but I really am not very optimistic about it. (laughs) I mean, these are the conversations we were having before. Yeah, I'm bringing the emotions. These are the conversations we're having before the executive order. And so I would really love to see these findings be applied. To the real world, so we can have some tangible results. But, Will, what do you think?
3: Yeah, last on this before we go to Adam's story, Wendy, to the point you're bringing up, there's supposed to be about 12 or so of these federally motivated research reports are coming out. This follows up on a Biden administration executive order from March to investigate all aspects of crypto. So, it's not going to just be Bitcoin mining, though I do expect Bitcoin mining to be a focal point because of its place with the United States energy grids. And who's not talking about energy right now? Adam, let's go to your story, though. Talk a little bit about football.
4: Yeah, indeed. Uh, They got me, but I'm back. So for our last story for today, (laughs) let's have a little bit of fun. Control, please roll the sports ball intro. Sports. Sports Ah! (laughs) Okay. Sports, I'm told, are a pretty big deal and crypto fantasy versions (laughs) of them, although not particularly new, seem poised to finally hit the mainstream. After NBA Top Shot started tokenizing highlights from real matches at the start of the NFT boom, with collection as the only game, it was only a matter of time before we saw projects take those moments, and from other projects as well, of course, and build games around them. Well, fast forward a few years, and we have seen exactly that. And with the football season kicking off, there's some attention focused in on that area. Fantasy sports, the non-tokenized kind even, have become an enormous business, valued by some metrics at $22 billion per year. But is it really about the game or is it just another way to gamble? And where do tokens actually come into this? And what, what is fantasy sports anyways? I have no idea. This is so not my thing. There's a lot to <laughs> dig into here. Wendy, what do you think?
0: <laughs> okay. So first off, I kind of have post-traumatic stress from football season. And um, yeah, but I know that football season is a big thing. People love football. People love fantasy football. So Just as long as crypto gets to be involved in it and we can kind of keep track of all these fantasy football plays on the blockchain so you can make sure that you get your $100 or whatever, you bet against somebody. I think that's awesome. So rah-rah football on the blockchain (laughs) or
3: something. I don't... Okay, I'll pick this story up. And I have a confession. This story really made me check my biases Um, on why I like NFTs and crypto. Because I thought about this and I was like, this story is so cool. I love the fact that they're like integrating crypto, fantasy. And I was like, wait, I've been calling all these things stupid for so long because it doesn't make sense that crypto is involved with it just because I didn't like the other thing. And I sort of had an existential crisis for a little bit this morning when I was reading this story. So I just wanted to air that confession because there's so many projects out there I've called stupid. And it's probably just, it's a me thing, guys. I'm sorry for that. But I'll go to the story itself and talk about it a bit. I think that there's a lot of projects out here that are going to boom. And Adam, you talked about this on the first segment, right? There's a lot of projects that are sort of just getting on their feet. And they might go somewhere, they might not. But it's important to be there first and to have this sort of crypto angle, whatever that means to you and to your project as a part of fantasy football, is going to be a big deal. Fantasy football is huge. Just as Jeff are put in this awesome story back in the early 90s, fantasy football is nothing. You'd have to do it by pen and paper. You have to tabulate everything yourself. You know, 20, 30 years later, it is now a huge industry worth billions of dollars. So I think crypto could really fit into this well if they do it correctly. Jen, I'll throw it to you for your take.
2: Yeah, fantasy sports are wild. And I just want to say, Will, you really came full circle from the beginning of the show with that Starbucks story. <laughs> now you've had to come to Jesus moment. Will is on Starbucks board is with still NFTs. stupid. Okay. They're just <laughs> <laughs> I think earlier this week, or sorry, it's Monday, last week, Rare announced that they were going to launch fantasy NBA teams and you'd be able to get, you know, NFTs of each of the players and put them together to make teams. And when I think about how fantasy sports works, you know, NFTs and DAOs and the organization of communities really does make sense, just like you were saying, Will. And so I think if the technology can help people organize themselves better around these teams that they want to create and contribute to this industry that I absolutely have no understanding of, then we should let the technology do that. We talk about these communities so often and fantasy sports is just another community that has really, really passionate people who want to take part in it. Will?
3: That being said, you got to stay on the edge though, right? Okay, like this NFT thing with Starbucks It's like, I got an NFT because I bought five coffees last week. Like, that's not a great thing. It's just like a reminder you don't have self-control. I don't understand why you have a, like a connection between these two things. The crypto and the fantasy football, that makes sense. And there's some other projects out there that make sense. I don't buy it at all though. Uh, Wendy, I'll give it back to you.
0: I just bought a sappy seal last week, and the community is so adorable, and they're just so adorable, and I love my sappy seal. That's all. <laughs> we need to. We get should a picture have
2: like NFT and show and tell it. on the show. We, we can should. talk about mm-hmm. why, why. <laughs> Here's this thing, and why.
3: Why Can't I spent money on this? <laughs> why? 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 It can be like a, right. <laughs> the new segment NFT show and tell. Okay, let's wrap it up there. That was fun. Good to see you guys. All three of you. Beginning of a new week, more stories to come on The Hash. If you enjoyed listening to this on TV, I think you'll like the podcast also. Be sure to check out more podcasts on the Coindesk Podcast Network. See you guys all later.
1: Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network.